Brutal couple of years, huh, Charlie? First dad, then Marcus. Seem to have reached the age where life stops giving us things and starts taking them away. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. This is episode 81. Miles, we are back at the diner. It's exciting to be here. Miles, how the heck are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I am absolutely fabulous. I'm caught up with all my sci-fi. Can't wait to tell you guys about it in the listener feedback show that we'll be that we're, we'll be doing, or I'll probably be releasing before this episode, so you'll probably hear my thoughts about those shows anyways, but... A lot of exciting stuff on the sci-fi world and in the sci-fi universe and in all the new shows that we're watching. Very cool. Very cool stuff. Very cool. How 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 sci-fi going for you, Miles? Uh, I'm enjoying what I've seen so far and really le- loving the Big Bang Theory. A uh, couple some last couple episodes were hilarious. Very um, cool. I still not watched it, but mm-hmm. don't have time for it right now. I, 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 I did can see wa- why people liked it. Yeah, I, I did watch Beauty and the Beast. Don't hold it against me. On Blu-ray. It was absolutely beautiful. I got a little teary-eyed. Well, you have kids, so we can forget. It, it is. And you know what? I guess in reality, it's fantasy. It is fantasy. It's a fantasy story for kids. It is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is, right? There's magic involved. There's fairies. There's, I guess, a witch, an uh, enchantress, I guess they call her. So anyways, very cool. Well, we have an awesome show for you guys tonight, and we're just going to leap into the diner and tell you what's on the menu tonight, what we're cooking up. Miles, we had a fabulous interview with Graham Hancock, didn't we? We did, and uh, I, I was not aware of this uh, gentleman and his work, and I'm glad I am now. I'm yeah, I've been telling you, talk about a guy that just thinks outside the box, and I, I like the way you put it, Miles. He was he's the Indiana Jones of archaeology, like a modern Indiana Jones, and a little bit like Walter Bishop. Yeah, and I think uh, – And we don't mean that yeah, in a negative way. It's just – No, the, no, we don't. don't yeah, in, the, in the most endearing way, he's like Walter Bishop, uh, but mm-hmm. not, not Alt-Walter, Walter Bishop we're talking about. <laughs> yes, in our, in, in our universe. <laughs> in the Walter Universe, our business. Uh, we have some news on uh, William Shatner and seven other famous voices. If you want to hear The Raven, come on. Halloween's coming up. A good time to hear The Raven. Some Transformers news we have. By the way, we don't have this in here, but did you hear about the accident uh, down the mall this past week? One of the extras, uh, no. one of the extras got hurt on the Transformers set. And I just saw it come oh, through okay. the feed this week that uh, – that that the Transformers wasn't liable. I, I don't know what happened on it, but somehow they got out of being liable for it. 
But um, we have some news on Superman, the Superman role. Morgan Freeman insists on Rendezvous, Rendezvous with Rama will be made, and I can't wait. I love that story. Can't wait to talk about this story here. We have an awesome animated video that retells the entire Star Wars trilogy in about three or four minutes. Dollhouse, the, 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 can't speak here. The Dollhouse uh, DVDs season two were released, and along with it, if you pre-ordered, you got a comic book. And freaking Bookworm reviewed it for us, and we're going to go ahead and share that review with you. So you got to check that out. You got to check out her stuff as well. Miles, you're going to bring us a twist. I am. We have some good twist stuff with some more Virgin. With some more virgins in it. No, uh, it's a different show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but Virgin Galactic's real life enterprise gets its own show. Starblet, and then um, then uh, we have J J S from a J from Atlanta is going to be sharing us his sci fi five and five on the five classic horror films. So perfect sci-fi five and five for this time of year. So it's exciting stuff. And we forgot to mention as well that we have a new trivia coming to you and a chance to win Graham Hancock's book, Eater of Dead Souls. Actually, it's Entangled, the Eater of Souls is the name. Awesome. Well, that's that's a jam-packed show, Miles. We got a lot to talk about. Yeah, and we're going to do the listener feedback episode again separately like, we, like we've been doing. That seems to be going well. And uh, give us your thoughts on it. If you think the format of that show should be a little bit different or you think we should have more sound effects in it. Let me know. All right, I have some random person calling me. Should I answer it? I don't like when random people call me. No, okay. They can text me if it's really important. All right, I should just leave that in the show. Just go for it. Okay, Miles, why don't you why don't you take us into the trivia? Okay, this trivia question uh, definitely relates to uh, uh, the guest that we spoke to a little while ago. And our question is: What commonality does Michael Shanks' characters on SG One? And Smallville have? And the answer is, we'll tell you in a week or two. We're going to give you two weeks to answer this trivia question, and there might be an overlap with some other goodies we're giving away because we have a lot of good things to give away. Oh, Miles, we have, um, I'm going on a little bit of a tangent here. Maybe I should wait on this. Uh, go ahead, let's tell people the prize for this week, and then I'll go on my little tangent here. The winner of this trivia uh, question will receive a copy of Graham Hancock's book, Entangled, the Eater of Souls. Yeah, and you will want to pick this up after listening to Graham Hancock, Hancock speak about this. It's absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, I, I definitely want to read this myself. Yeah. Man, we have a lot of good prizes coming up. We have a Kevin Sorbo picture that we're going to be giving away. I think we have that somewhere, don't we? Uh, mm-hmm. Signed by him, and we'll have an interview with him coming up that we kind of kept in storage here and we'll bring out soon. Uh, not only that, but we have uh, we have some Thinky gift certificates we're going to be giving away soon. Probably starting November, so be on the lookout for that. Tell your friends to listen in and see if they can win something from Think Geek. So some really cool. Hey Scott, stuff. did you get did you get your uh, uh, your Enterprise pizza cutter yet? Did you? I did. That bastard! No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I didn't get mine. I can't. I can't cut pizza without it. Without it. Oh man, Frage, it, it, Frage, it, 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 it I even pronounced your name right, Frage, and and you didn't send me my pizza cutter. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm better. It is awesome. I is can't it? wait to use it. <laughs> oh right. yeah. All right. Uh, did you listen? By the way, did you listen to the uh, end of the show? Like, do you listen? Did you listen through to the music? Uh, yes, I did. Okay, and you heard the little blurbs and mess ups and everything. Very cool. Oh yeah, I was playing what Doctor Doctor Who theme done by Orbital. But 
Mm-hmm. Very cool. That's, by the way, if I didn't mention in the show, but that's who did that Doctor Who theme at the end of the last show. But, well, let's move into our uh, first promo for tonight. We actually have an awesome promo. Actually, before I do that, I should tell you where you can send in the trivia answers. You can send in your trivia answers to the Safi Diner podcast at gmail.com or call us at 1-888-508-4343. You know, we would love to get a lot of more people calling into the show. If that number's not working for you, let us know. Um, not only to share trivia, but your thoughts. We would love to play audio clips in the show and everything so i encourage you uh sure you can write an email but you can just ramble on in a, a phone call as well and i'll embed it and uh, we would enjoy hearing that and it saves us having to read your emails not that we mind reading your emails we love reading your emails but it gives us a little bit more to, to kind of a little bit of diversity than just hearing us talk all the time um, you can also twitter those answers to the sci-fi diner dm them and uh, that's about the ways you can get in now let's go into the promos, Miles. Our first promo is en- Enemy Lines by John Maru. I think it's Maru. I think it is. Um, I'm terrible at pronouncing names. You ever notice that, Miles? I have the darndest time doing it. But John, John, this guy is great. We've been dialoguing about it, and you just released this novel just a few weeks ago called en- Enemy Lines. It's a patio book, and let me tell you, it's a near-future science fiction story, and it's awesome. It really is. So make sure you check it out. The stars have secrets. Some say these secrets have fallen from the skies. The government says it's not true. But in the 40s, they created an organization to track down flyers, to learn their technology, and bring one back. The threat of peace leads Black Ridge Defense to investigate rumors of a secret organization named Division 10. Typhon system-wide has pushed ahead of its rivals to be the first in orbit and the first to mine the asteroid belt. But when they learn of Blackridge's investigation, they form an alliance to take control of Division 10. And they're going to take down a president to do it. As their plans come to a head, something emerges from a burning building in New York City. Something that could threaten Typhon and Blackridge victory. Their soldiers are on the way, and so are the black helicopters of Division 10. But there's another player in this game, and far higher stakes than control of a government or new technology. The Flyers are back. Enemy Lines, a novel written and performed by John Miro. For more information, visit enemylinesnovel.com. And we're back. Welcome to back to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. Well, let's get into some news. I really didn't break this apart into like TV, DVD news, or anything like that. So we're just going to kind of launch into. It. I think it kind of flows that way, anyways. Um, mm-hmm. So start off. Why don't you start us off with some? I guess it's kind of TV related news uh, because William Shatner is considered a TV star, I guess. But go ahead. Oh, oh yeah. Well, William Shatner and seven other famous voices recite Poe's The Raven. On this 161st anniversary Edgar Allan Poe's death, we decided to remember the hallowed author by listening to performers such as James Earl Jones, Christopher Walken, and William Shatner read us his most haunting poem. Give them a listen and let us know what you think, whether you liked it or not. Yeah, and I will embed those videos in the show notes so you can kind of check them out at the sci-fi diner podcast.com. 
and uh, we will also we will, we often embed videos there. So if you don't go to that website that often, check it out. You can see some of these videos. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered, weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping. It is some visitor. I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. Only this and nothing more. Eagerly, I wished the morrow. Vainly, I had sought to borrow from my books surcease of sorrow. Sorrow for the lost Lenore, nameless here forevermore. And the silken, sad, uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before. Presently, my soul grew stronger, hesitating then no longer. Sir, said I, oh, madam, truly your forgiveness I implore, but the fact is, I was napping, and so gently you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door that I scarce was sure I heard you. Here, I opened wide the door. Darkness there, and nothing more. But the silence was broken, and the stillness gave no token, and the only word there spoken was the whispered word, Lenore. This I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word, Lenore. Merely this and nothing more. Back into the chamber, turning, all my soul within me burning. Soon again, I heard a tapping, somewhat louder than before. It is the wind, and nothing more. Open here, I flung the shutter. When, with many a flirt and flutter, in there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Then this... Ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy into smiling by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore. Though thy crest be shorn and shaven, thou, I said, art sure no craven, ghastly grim, and ancient raven wandering from the nightly shore. Tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's plutonium shore, quoth the raven. Nevermore. Then upon the velvet, sinking, I betook myself to linking fancy onto fancy, thinking what this ominous bird of yore, what this grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt, and ominous bird of yore meant in croaking. Nevermore. Then methought, the air grew denser, perfumed from an unseen censer swung by seraphim, whose footfalls twinkled on the tufted floor. Wretch, I cried, thy God hath lent thee by these angels. He hath sent thee respite, respite and nepenthe from the memories of Lenore. Quaff, oh, quaff this kind nepenthe and forget this lost Lenore, quoth the raven, nevermore.
Be that word our sign of parting. Bird, O fiend, I shrieked, upstarting, get thee back into the tempest and the night's plutonian shore. Take thy beak from out my heart and take thy form off my door, quoth the raven. Nevermore. And the raven, never flittering, still is sitting, still is sitting on the pallid bust of Pallas just above my chamber door, and his eyes have all the seeming of a demon that is dreaming, and the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadow on the floor. And my soul, from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor, shall be lifted. Nevermore. But some of the very cool, I have heard Christopher Walken read it, and he's absolutely eerie. I love Christopher Walken reading Poe. Oh, I do too. And I, I, I gotta go on just a brief tangent here. Um, um, known for his work on a lot of Star Trek shows, uh, Jeffrey Combs is doing a one-man Edgar Allan Poe show, and um, I, I don't know if he's going to make it to the East Coast, but I know he's making he's doing some uh, uh, one-man shows on the West Coast, and they're being received very well. And if you look at uh, Jeffrey Combs, there is definitely a passing resemblance between him and Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> I think I saw pictures of him, and that's probably true. Mm-hmm. Well, let's move into some Transformer news. Uh, now that Michael Bay's uh, third Transformers film has finally got itself a title two weeks back, Transformers The Dark of the Moon. I actually didn't know the official title of that, so that's kind of cool. The Dark yeah. of the Moon. That is put, a cool title. They just need to put Dark Side of the Moon, and then we can play Pink Floyd while we're listening to it. That would be awesome and psychedelic. All it needed was a plot and just one leaked online thanks to the board book meant for kids. Uh, and this is basically – uh, the board book that is online. It says, uh, so this is a little bit of spoiler. Skip ahead if you don't want to hear us talk about Transformers plot because we're kind of interested in this. The Autobots, Bumblebee, Ratchet, Ironhide, Sideswipe, le- Sideswipe, led by Optimus Prime, are back in action, taking the evil Decepticons who are determined to avenge their defeat in 2009's Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. In this new movie, the Autobots and Decepti- uh, Decepticons become involved in a perilous space race between the U.S. and Russia, and once again, human Sam Witwicky has to come to the aid of his robot friends. There's new characters too, including a new villain in the form of Shockwave, a longtime Transformers character who rules Cybertron, while the Autobots and Decepticons battle it out on Earth. We may not have learned much new, but hey, at least now it's official. Transformers The Dark Moon will hit theaters July 1st, 2011, less than a year away. That's awesome. Yeah, I look forward to seeing it. I thought that's kind of soon. I thought 2012 was the date. I wonder if they had the date wrong here. I can't imagine if they just – I guess they are filming it. So I guess that's possible. It just seems like with all the CGI that goes into those films, that's a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah, we'll have to see if that's correct date or not. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Up, up, and away. Go ahead. Take us into the next piece. In Superman news, uh, uh, Brandon uh, Routh – I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his last name right. Um, but he played Superman in the last Superman movie back in 06. Uh, he is still in the running for the Superman role. Ever since the announcement that Zack Snyder would be the director of the Superman franchise reboot, it's been the general consensus that, that Brandon Routh would not be reprising his role as the Man of Steel. However, in light of the growing internet campaign to push for uh, Routh in the new movie, it now appears that the actor may indeed have another shot. In a recent article by the – News of the World newspaper, Snyder revealed that uh, Routh would be considered for the role. I didn't realize there was such a groundswell, Snyder was quoted as saying, after learning the internet campaign for Routh. You know, this um, is kind of interesting. I mean, what, 
you know, I know that people kind of faulted the last Superman movie, and I'm not certain it was his fault because I, I, I seem to remember when that movie came out, a lot of people said this guy looks like Christopher Reeves. He looks like, yeah. I mean, I, I remember that too. And they were saying, you know, he uh, he looks like him. Uh, he did a very good Clark Kent. I don't think the movie, you know, the fault of the movie was him at all. I think it was just the writing. Um, it just kind of. Uh, Fell flat in some places, uh, but as far as uh, as far as his performance goes, I, I thought he did a very good job. I'd be you know I'd be okay with him doing Superman again. So it'd be great to reprise it. Just get a better script in there, right? Better script right. and better plot, and hey, we're good to go. And you know the actors have very little to do with that. If they can put on a good show, that uh, let us know what you thought of of uh, Brandon Roth Roth. I guess Ralph. Uh, we can't pronounce names tonight, so just ignore us tonight. But uh, the uh, let us know what you think of him as Superman. What you thought of him in the last Superman movie, and whether you would like to see him back in on the show. That would be uh, back on the movie, and you know, give us your thoughts on that. You can do so by calling in at one eight 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 five zero eight four three four three or emailing us at five high diner podcast at gmail dot com. So very cool. Morgan Freeman insists that Rendezvous with Rama will get made. And Miles, let me tell you how awesome this is to see this Arthur C. Clarke novel being made into a movie finally. I know that we played a, a faux trailer for it, a fake trailer that was online, and I'm not going to put that back in the show notes. But this is actually pretty awesome. And, and there's an interview with him that I will post in the show notes where he's talking about this. But here's a little blurb about the story. Morgan Freeman has been trying to get an adaptation of Arthur C. Clarke's first contact classic, Rendezvous with Rama made for almost 20 years with David Fincher on board to direct and the Oscar winner says he's closer than ever. While he's doing press for his upcoming action comedy Red, Freeman lets slip that he's still very much committed to getting his longtime passion project in which a massive spacecraft dubbed Rama enters the solar system off the ground. Check out the complete interview in our show notes and he says it's, it's got to be done movie. We just have to figure out how to do it. You know, and this is kind of – this novel, in my opinion, Miles, is like Philip Dick's Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep being made into Blade Runner. It's a, it was like a must-have it's, like it's like a groundbreaking novel that has to be made into a movie of some sort. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is – when you look at Arthur C. Clarke, his defining work, not only is it 2001, but then you look at it and say, well, Rondi with Rama is the other one that has to be made. I think so. Did you ever read Rendezvous with Rama? No, but I've read something else that he he and another author put out um, a few years ago. I'm trying to remember the title. Um, yeah, but uh, I, I like the first book they put out. Um, and Arthur, I mean, Arthur C. Clarke has put out tons of novels. But, oh, yeah, um, he is. They're, they're, it, it had a relation. So it was something to do with time travel, and so that piqued my interest. Oh, very good. I don't remember good. the name of it, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's move on to some Star Wars. Well, this is a. Uh, this looks pretty cool. Awesome animated music video tell, retells the entire Star Wars trilogy. So George Lucas wants to make 3D versions of all six Star Wars films. Good idea? Bad idea? We don't know until 2012. But meanwhile, a talented musician and animator has made his own version of Star Wars that gets as far away from 3D as possible. Uh, Jerry Messersmith wrote a song about Star Wars and created an accompanying music video animated with proper versions of all the familiar characters. Paper versions. Paper. Yeah, yep, paper versions of it. So it's kind of cool. You got to check it out. We will embed the video in the show notes so you can go ahead and watch that. And we'll probably put a little bit of the song in here just so you can hear the song. So it's mm-hmm. kind of cool. But we always love getting new Star Wars stuff. Some new Star Wars fan stuff, I guess it is. Twin sons dead away. Tell me everything I know. 
Twin suns that are me Taught me everything I know This room up there for second chances Singles are fine but doubles are fantastic I'd like to think that there's a star for me and you Spinning round, falling for one another we need, oh, talk, yeah. we, need a, we need to do a fan film update sometime. We should. Because we, we, have, with, we, have, with, with, we haven't talked about that in a little bit. I think Phoenix mm-hmm. was the last one that we had on. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Is that right? I think so. Uh, you're, you're correct, yeah. Because um, Brown Coats was even before that. Well, let's talk about this week. We had the Dollhouse Season 2 release to phenomenal reviews and a music video that went kind of viral. And, uh, and uh, I will try and see if I can find that music video and put it into the show notes here. We aren't going to talk about the music video, though, that went viral for Dollhouse. But we always love good excuses to talk about our favorite show that got canceled or one of our favorite shows that got canceled by Fox. Thank you, Fox, mm. again. And um, But along with – the DVDs came a comic book. If you pre-ordered the DVDs, you got a comic book here. And and uh, a good friend of ours, uh, freaking the freaking bookworm, did a review for it and said, "Hey, you know what? If you want to share it on the show, share it on the show, and we are going to share it with you guys." Just her thoughts on it. Since I didn't pre-order it, and Miles, I don't think you pre-ordered it, so we got to go. No, we got we got to get someone else in here to, com- to comment on it. So this is what she says. Dollhouse Season 2 came out yesterday, and I may or may not have charmed Mike into loaning me some money so I could buy it. See, a limited number of DVDs came with a comic, and I was going to get that comic no matter how many babies I had to slay or how many mics I had to use my womanly wiles on. Oh, my. Yeah, I know. Um, the day before its release, I even visited our FYE, our FYE and got one of those guys there to hide a copy for me. I did not. I do not. I do not have a problem. She says uh, there is a lot of uncertainty revolving the co- revolving the comic. Did you get it only as a pre order? Was it a digital hard copy? Where exactly does the story pick up? Because of my <coughs> problem slash dedication, I can answer these questions for you. The comic is only guaranteed with pre orders, and only a certain number of DVDs have it. It's a hard cop- copy and fits right inside the DVD case. It's a little guy. It seems to me that it picks up right between Echo and Friends' story and Maggie, Zone, and the company's stories right at the beginning of all the chaos. Um, basically, this mini-comic bridges the gap between the regular Dollhouse series, uh, the episode of Epitaph 1 and episode Epitaph 2 Return, and the forthcoming one-shot comic set to be released April 2011. During the during the Dark Horse panel at New York Comic-Con 2010, it was announced that the comic book treatment of Josh Whedon's Dollhouse would continue. That's something that Josh has gone back and forth on in different times. Akin said it started us with us doing a small story to be inserted in the Dollhouse Season 2 DVD. It got the ball rolling. And we'll do a one-shot in April and a miniseries after that. The comic will be written by Jed Whedon and Marissa uh, Tancheron. Tancheron? Ron? I think these are the guys. Jed and Marissa were also a part of uh, Dr. Horrible, I think, Miles. Is that correct? I think you're, I think you're, well, Jed Whedon definitely was. Yeah, I think Marissa was also involved with that. The writers of the TV show, uh, there were writers on the TV show as well, and will be set, and will be set in the future of Los Angeles after the dollhouse technology was reduced, as reduced the city to ruins. I can't wait for more epitaphs left in my heart. 
I can't wait for more. Epitaph left my heart pounding and reignited my passion for the series. Luckily, I now have all of it in DVD. I can't wait to see what's coming up. The art was gorgeous and colorful, which did not take away from the drama and the darkness of the story at all. The dialogue, of course, was awesome. The story was both familiar and new since we learned exactly how Maggie and Zone end up in this whole mess, as well as a few other stragglers. We still don't know how they end up in the same group, but maybe that will be explained in the one shot. Really, this little comic is a tease, but also a promise of more to come. And as a fan who loved the TV show, I can't thank Josh, Jed, Mo, and the team at Dark Horse enough. Have you read this teaser? What did you think of it? Will you be counting down the days till April? Let me tell you, I'm jealous now, freaking bookworm. I hope they release this teaser digitally so we can actually get it. Yeah, I would, I would like to see the comics released. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Miles, why don't you take us into our twist tonight? And this week in Star Trek, uh, we've been um, uh, we, we talked before on the show uh, about uh, Virgin Galactic's um, uh, attempts to you know their privately owned company to basically launch their own spaceship. Um, well, in this uh, bit of news, uh, Virgin Galactic's real life Enterprise gets its own show, and it's by the time we get this, it'll already be on, but you might be able to catch it later. Um, you want to hear more about the Enterprise taking you into space in your lifetime, you say? Well, we'll point you in the right direction. It seems our favorite real-life uh, VSS Enterprise from Virgin Galactic will be starring in its own four-part documentary called Virgin Galactic, beginning Monday, October 28th on the National Geographic Channel at 10 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time. The new documentary series will star uh, Richard Branson and Bert Rutan, and they'll take us along for the ride as they bring us... Uh, Humans closer to our everyday space travel and, and thereby one step closer to the Federation. Be sure to check it out and see all the amazing science, imagination, and courage that have made the project come so far. For more information about this show, check out National, yeah, National Ge- Geographic's channel uh, site. Um, and I'm sure they'll air that first part again. So you yeah, and it'll be available online, I'm sure, as well. I can't sure. imagine it not being available. Um, yeah, so I, that's kind of exciting. Well, yeah, and mm-hmm. I, you know, I wonder if they're doing it like four parts in a row, or if they're doing it like Monday nights. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure. If so, you only missed the first one, and there's a good chance they'll air it ahead of time. Again. Yeah, that's how they usually do it. So, and um, in other Star Trek news, uh, something a little um, funny and irreverent. Uh, Star Blake. Uh, if you put uh, look up. Uh, uh, on YouTube, and we'll put the link in our uh, show notes. It's a um, maybe you've seen some of the jib jab videos where they, uh, well, they, they they do something like that with uh, the last Star Trek movie. It's a, it's a funny, irreverent uh, uh, little video on that, and uh, I found I found it mildly entertaining. Well, very cool. We'll have to bed. We'll have to embed that video in the show as well. Mm-hmm. So, well, uh, very cool. Thank you, Miles, for bringing us a twist tonight. And I guess before we bring you our interview with Graham Hancock, let's go ahead and do our last promo for tonight. And we have not talked about these guys for a while, but they just released a new episode called uh, – I forget what it's called. But these are the guys from Podcasters and Emporium. You know what? We do not talk about this, Miles, a lot in the show, but we are a member of the Lifestyle Pod Network. Um, and as a network of podcasts, it really covers everything from running to astrology on down into podcasting and, and humor and technology. You want it. These guys have – this network is everything. And best yet, you get most of it with an Australian accent. You just can't beat it. You, no, you just can't. can't beat it. So make sure you check these guys out. It's called Podcasters Emporium from the Lifestyle Pod Network. 
G'day, I'm Dave Gray. Are you a new show or a relatively new show that's trying to make your podcast sound great? Then you need to listen to Podcasters Emporium, a podcast that's by podcasters for podcasters. We'd be happy for you to join our community and be a part of what we call Podcasters Emporium. Join myself and James Williams as we explore podcasting and all its greatness. You can check out the show at podcastersemporium.com. Welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Wow, Miles, we are about to bring you our interviews. Uh, not bring you, Miles. You were there. But uh, except for that one part you dropped out. But we are going to bring you our interview with Graham Hancock. Uh, how would you describe Graham here? He's a little bit of uh, Indiana Jones and uh, uh, Walter Bishop uh, from Fringe. Um, what a way to describe we, we, a guy. <laughs> But we mean it in the nicest way possible, and with, and most, with, with the highest affection. Um, but uh, very interesting guy. Um, and I wouldn't have come across him unless we, we've done this interview, and he's got a great book coming out, which I want to check out. Yeah, this book, Entangled Eater of the Souls, we, that, that's what we're giving away in our trivia contest. You can actually get a copy for yourself, or better yet, go to Amazon and buy it. He has links all over his website, GrahamHancock.com. We'll get you to that. But we just had a really good chat. He's he's such an interesting character and such an interesting uh, person just to hear talk about how this book came about. And some really phenomenal stories. We're really excited to bring this to you. Ladies and gentlemen, last week we talked about real science and sci-fi. Well, today we talk with somebody who is a best-selling author who has written real science in the form of historical treatments about our ancient civilizations and whose books have sold more than 5 million copies. For tonight, we'll be speaking with Mr. Uh, Graham Hancock. Mr. Hancock has been seen on television in the UK on two programs on Channel 4 and in the States on the Learning Channel. Earlier this year, however, Mr. Hancock has published his first fiction novel called uh, Entangled. It tells the story of a supernatural battle of good against evil fought out across the dimension of time on the human plane. Mr. Hancock, thank you and welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. Thank you. It's a delight to be with you. Oh, we really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, uh, go ahead, Miles. Well, I um, I just want to say after seeing the trailer for Entangled, uh, I need to get a copy of this book for myself to read. So um, I can't wait to. Uh, it, look, it looks great. It look, definitely is something right up my alley. Um, my question for you, uh, uh, Graham, after years of writing historical treatments about our ancient history, what inspired you to write what could be called a, a fantasy sci-fi novel? Yeah, uh, for the last 20 years, uh, I have written uh, a whole series of books. I think the best known is called Fingerprints of the Gods, uh, which look uh, into the possibility of a lost civilization, of a, of a forgotten episode in, in human history. Um, and I brought that investigation to a close in 2002 with a book called uh, Underworld, where um, I went uh, with my wife, Santa, who's a photographer. We, we scuba dived uh, all around the world for six years uh, looking for ruins uh, of man-made structures underwater, uh, the reason being that sea levels rose by more than 400 feet at the end of the last ice age, and if we're looking for a lost civilization, that's where we're going to find it, uh, un underwater. Uh, and I produced an enormously detailed and thoroughly documented book, uh, 800 and 
20 pages long with 1,500 footnotes uh, called uh, Underworld. And after that, uh, I moved on to write one more nonfiction book, which is called Supernatural uh, Meetings with the Ancient Teachers of Mankind, which looks into shamanism and altered states of consciousness and the intriguing possibility that what we call visionary experiences uh, may be putting us in contact with, uh, not with fantasies or illusions, but with freestanding uh, parallel realms or universes or worlds. Um, and and uh, during the research uh, for that book, it was necessary for Supernatural, it was necessary for me to go down to the Amazon jungle and to work with shamans uh, in the Amazon because I always believed that I should put myself uh, into my research, into what I'm writing about. And there I had my first experiences with the powerful visionary brew that shamans in the Amazon use, which is called ayahuasca. Uh, the Vine of Souls, which does indeed plunge us into seamlessly convincing parallel realms uh, inhabited by what appear to be intelligent entities that have uh, an interest uh, in us. And there's a, a great deal of scientific research has been done on ayahuasca, and it's been discovered that people from all different cultures who are not comparing notes, who've got no contact with one another, keep reporting meeting the same entities and beings uh, in this altered state of consciousness. And normally when a lot of different people agree that they've seen the same thing, we accord it the status of reality. Uh, so all of this got me thinking, thinking could the, could the brain uh, not simply be a, a generator of consciousness, but maybe a receiver of consciousness? And, and could, could it be possible in altered states of consciousness that we're retuning the receiver wavelength of the brain and gain, gaining access to other realities, uh, and I stress the word realities, uh, that are not normally uh, accessible uh, to our senses? And it was at this point when I found that I was dealing with truly uh, extraordinary ideas about the nature of reality uh, and indeed about the, 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 the nature and the mystery of good and evil as well, uh, that I came to the conclusion uh, that, I, uh, that I should attempt to write uh, a work of fiction. And since, uh, since Ayahuasca had, had, had caused me to have such profound experiences in the Amazon, I went back to Brazil and I drank ayahuasca five more times and I asked the spirits behind ayahuasca uh, to give me a story. <laughs> I know this may sound quite crazy, but this was the source, this was the source of my inspiration. Over a series of five um, sessions, over a period of two weeks, uh, I was shown this whole story that there would be two young women, one living in the Stone Age, 24,000 years ago, uh, at the time of the last Neanderthals, the young woman herself would not be a Neanderthal. She would be an anatomically modern human like you uh, and I. And the other young heroine of my story is in modern 21st century Los Angeles. Um, and in the background, there's a supernatural being, I call her the Blue Angel, um, who is a force of goodness and truth and light in the universe. And her antagonist is a demon who I call Sulpa uh, in the Stone Age and Jack in the 21st century. Now, the angelic force cannot intervene directly in the human realm. Uh, she can only intervene by influencing human consciousness 
in altered states of consciousness. Uh, and she works to influence these two young women, Rhea in the Stone Age and Leone today, uh, to do battle uh, with the demon uh, and to prevent him from bringing about the ruination of mankind. Uh, so really behind this story, and it's an adventure story, fundamentally it's, an, it's a fast-moving adventure story, but woven into it are uh, the really ideas at the, at the cutting edge about the nature of reality and consciousness and the nature of good and evil. Uh, and at a personal level, behind it was, uh, was, was a visionary uh, inspiration. It's been an incredible liberation for me to write fiction. After years and years of producing these huge non-fiction books, I mean 800-plus pages, as I mentioned, you, you should see my office when I'm writing non-fiction. I have like 50 books strewn around the floor. They've all got yellow tags taped to different pages. I'm desperately searching for references. I'm grinding facts all the time. And it was an incredible liberation for me to venture into the realm of science fiction and to write an adventure story uh, where I don't have to refer to any facts at all, uh, where I simply have to allow out uh, onto the screen what is already uh, inside me in this fully imagined uh, world. Uh, very exciting writing experience. I've enormously enjoyed it. And I hope that the readers of my nonfiction uh, will give me a chance as a novelist, uh, empower me to continue to work as a novelist, uh, and have a look at my book, which is called Entangled, The Eater of Souls. We know, despite the fact that you say that it's not necessarily, you aren't necessarily drawing on facts, there is a lot of rich science within the book. And, um, and, uh, you know, not only the Ohiska as being kind of a part of that, but then also, um, just, you really reference a lot, like the Neanderthals and the, the, the near death and out of body experiences. And some of that had to take some research from you. Oh yes, it, it did, um, and 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 I've indeed uh, I'm, I'm indeed working in areas and subject matters with this book that I've already been familiar with for many many years. So although I wasn't re referring to reference books, uh, I was thoroughly versed and and immersed in the material. I learned a huge amount about the Stone Age uh, while I was researching my book uh, Supernatural, and I learned a huge amount about the mystery of altered states of consciousness as well. And you know, the Neanderthal thing is um, is interesting. I, I, I mentioned that the that the inspiration from for this book was a series of visionary experiences uh, in the Amazon, um, and I was shown. In those visions, I was shown a very different picture of the Neanderthals from the one that is normally current in our society. I mean, we use the word Neanderthal itself to suggest a thuggish, boorish, stupid, violent person. The, the word Neanderthal carries lots of negative overtones. But the way that I understood the Neanderthals to be was beings of pure goodness and truth with uh, powers of telepathy and with healing powers, with no violence or cruelty in them at all, deeply compassionate and loving uh, beings. This is why the demon in my story wants to destroy the Neanderthals, because by destroying their goodness, he will gain power that will enable him to leap forward and manifest fully in the 21st century. Well, the strange thing is that uh, while I was writing this supposed work of fiction about the Neanderthals, um, I put down certain information. I said, for example, the Neanderthals had red hair. There, at the time, there was no science supporting that. Uh, but a year after I had written that down uh, in my book, uh, scientific papers began to come out which proved that the Neanderthals did have red hair. 
Um, another thing that, that is clear in, in, in my book, uh, Entangled, is the possibility of interbreeding between Neanderthals and humans. Again, when I was writing this down a year or two ago, uh, no scientist would accept that that had ever happened. But within the last six months, we've had the Neanderthal genome fully sequenced, and we now know that 4% of all modern human genes do in fact come from Neanderthals. And furthermore, the gene for red hair in human populations is a Neanderthal gene. Um, and and uh, another example, I, I, I portray the Neanderthals in Entangled as compassionate creatures who, who heal and care for one another and look after members of their community. This, again, was not thought to be the case by science, but just this, uh, this month, the month of October 2010, as we're talking, a whole flood of new research has come out uh, which demonstrates absolutely that the Neanderthals were compassionate creatures, that the old and sick and the infirm in their communities were looked after long beyond the time when they would have naturally survived. And this demonstrates uh, compassion and love uh, on the part of the Neanderthals. So there's been a weird way, and I just continue to watch these developments, uh, there's been a weird way in which the fiction that I was setting down has subsequently been validated uh, by scientific fact. It, it was also true in the vision of time that I present in this novel. I don't see time as an arrow which goes from past through present to future and with cause and effect only operating from the past to the future. Uh, the way I depict time in Entangled is as a series of spirals and circles that cut across one another and interconnect and are sometimes raveled up in knots and the different epochs of history <laughs> actually can have an effect on one another. And that that effect doesn't always flow forward in time. It can also flow backward in time. Uh, what we do today can change the past. And again, uh, within the last few weeks, uh, there have been a series of papers in quantum physics that have absolutely suggested that that is the case. Um, so I, I, I don't know exactly what I was tapping, in, <laughs> tapping into when I wrote this book, um, it, but uh, it's, been, it, 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 it's been intriguing to, to watch some of the information in the book come out in scientific papers. That has to be absolutely fascinating, too, just to kind of sit back and watch that all unfold. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 has, it, it, has, it has been, and... and, and um, I feel I feel this is my path for the future. I feel that I feel that I'm I'm done with nonfiction. Um, you know, our society doesn't give permission for certain ideas to be expressed in nonfiction. There there are rigid structures that surround uh, nonfiction, uh, which which um, limit what we can say. But once you once you wrap the evidence and the argument up in a, in a compelling, fast-moving story, then you're free to explore the most extraordinary ideas that mankind has ever considered. And, and I regard that as extremely, extremely liberating. Uh, Graham, I'm, I'm curious. Are you familiar with Robert J. Sawyer's work? Um, he wrote a novel. No. Um, you might be interested in this. Uh, he wrote... Uh, a couple novels. Uh, he he in his novels he talked about um, uh, in a parallel universe. It, it was the uh, Neanderthals that became the uh, um, dominant human mm. species, if you will. And um, mm. he um, and through an accident, through some Neanderthal scientists, they opened up a, a doorway to our our universe. And so the interaction between 
you know, a Neanderthal character and a human character. It's 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 three novels. It's very interesting. I just thought, you know, how interesting. No, I haven't come across that, but it sounds like uh, it sounds like he may be plugging in to some of the same mysterious sources that I plugged in. I'll I'll certainly certainly go and look for that. Right, right. Well, now that does bring up uh, you, you. you're, you're setting out or you're looking at writing some more fiction coming up. Uh, yes. Any, any, uh, any ideas as to where you're going to be taking us in those fiction novels? Or is it still yeah. wrapped, well, still there's wrapped a, in? There's, there's a second volume of Entangled. Oh, um, good. The, the, the book that's out there now is, is volume one, and, uh, and it ends on a, on a cliffhanger. And I'm working on, I'm working on volume two. Uh, at the at the at the moment, the, the nature of the story is such that it just it, it just divides itself perfectly into two books, um, and uh, so the second book is uh, is is being written at the moment and will be will be published next year. Um, but uh, after that, uh, I'm very interested in the Spanish conquest of Mexico uh, as a background for uh, for an incredible uh, epic fantasy adventure novel. And I will be uh, I, I will be going in, into that area very soon. Now, is there a reason that you're kind of uh, maybe drawing into some fantasy? I mean, is that an influence of yours from your younger years, or is uh, or is it just just because of the medium and because of your background as an archaeologist? It just kind of lends itself into that. Um, it's I can't really say that there was a particular influence on me in my childhood that attracted me to towards fantasy. Um, but I feel that I feel that the 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 area of fantasy offers the greatest freedom to an author. Um, I do believe it's extremely important for a novelist uh, to write a story that doesn't bore people. Uh, it must be the first uh, the first responsibility. Uh, is is to write a compelling story uh, where where the reader wants to keep on turning the pages. Uh, but once you fulfill that responsibility, then the second responsibility is to explore uh, intriguing and amazing ideas. Uh, and it seems to me that the realm of fiction that we call fantasy today, uh, and science fiction as well, science fiction and fantasy, to my mind, um, overlap uh, in many, many areas. And that these realms of fiction offer the greatest scope uh, for the exploration of just amazing and extraordinary ideas coupled with fast-moving, compelling stories. Um, I, I just feel very drawn uh, to, that, to that area. And again, to hark back to these mysterious experiences that I had in the Amazon uh, with the Vine of Souls, uh, it was as though a creative impulse within myself uh, that had been uh, asleep for many years uh, has been woken up, uh, completely woken up, um, and has become uh, the, the single-minded focus for my work as a writer in the future. This is definitely my path from now on. Graham, one of the things that uh, people have said about your approach of historical treatments, and you see this play into just what we've been discussing tonight, that some have called you controversial and unconventional in your thinking. Do you want to comment yeah. on that a little bit? Well, I would say that I would say that that is that has been and continues to be uh, my role. Uh, my role, as I see it, is to stand out on the edge of things and look at them from a point of view that is not mainstream. This is the the position that I took over the question of history and archaeology. It, it, it seemed to me that archaeologists and mainstream historians had the running too much to themselves. They were telling us a story about the past, uh, which was often based on 
the interpretation of very, very uh, limited facts, and that they were telling us that their story was the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And I felt that those facts could be interpreted in different ways, and that another story, another narrative, if you like, uh, could emerge. Um, and that, therefore, my role was to do that. It was to, it was to challenge the status quo. It was to offer ideas uh, that, that were not at the heart of the mainstream, but that might move us forward in important new directions. Uh, this caused a lot of annoyance amongst archaeologists <laughs> and historians. Uh, for whom I am a favorite hate figure. Nice. But I, honest, I honestly feel that, that I was doing um, a necessary job uh, because the story that they were telling was, uh, was lacking in any kind of balance. There was no other narrative being presented. Uh, and I felt that the narrative of alternative history uh, was an extremely uh, important thing to, to, to put across. Um, I've, I've always stood out on the, on the edge of things and not in the middle. And I think being on the edge of things is an important perspective uh, to bring to this complex and mysterious world in which we live. Yeah, you know, and you know, as I was, I, I watched part of the quest for the lost civilization, that the the documentary that's online. Yeah, um, and you know, it's the the points that you make and the way you present them are very rational based, and it's very uh, it's very logistical, and you're you're backing your stuff up, and I, you know, I just, yeah. and I and I think it's great that you're bringing in an alternate perspective to what we always hear, you know. Yes. Thank you. I try to be rational. I try. I do feel. I do feel when we're taking on, uh, you know, the established body of mainstream science and mainstream history and archaeology, that that the only way to do it uh, is is in their own terms. Uh, so although my perspective is very different from them, the tools that I use are quite similar to theirs. Um, so that we have some, uh, you know, some some area for dialogue, so that it becomes so that it becomes possible to offer a, a really informed critique, rather than a critique that is, um, you know, simply impressionistic. Um, and 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 so yes, I have I have worked very hard to to keep my arguments reasonable and well grounded. This is this is important. Well, yeah, and it's important for you to be taking you know somewhat seriously too. Among that. So to have yeah. that to, to have that sort of a uh, background and that sort of grounding in it, so I think that's awesome. Yeah, it's, I, I, I'm trying to be a bridge, you know, between between different different worlds. There are a lot of us who sense that that something is wrong with the picture that we're given by mainstream science, um, but, uh, but, but either don't have the time or or the, or the inclination to really argue that through and support it with documentation and evidence. And I've tried to be that person. Who gives the alternative point of view, but does so in a in a thoroughly documented manner? Yeah. Well, well, well. We appreciate we appreciate that voice, and it uh, and it's always uh, it's fascinating to kind of get that point of view that's in contrast to everything else that we are constantly being fed by the uh, media and by by the other documentary the other documentaries that are out there. Thank you. So thank you. Yes, I, that's that's been, that's been my my role, and as I say, I've moved. I've moved now uh, into fiction. I have to say it's much more fun to write, but the the ideas the ideas are still there. And if if your listeners would would like to get a, a, a free look at the first four chapters of my novel Entangled, just go to my website, GrahamHancock.com, www.grahamhancock.com. 
uh, and uh, there's a button right on the front of the site that you can press that will take you into Entangled. And there, there the first four chapters are available free online, and there's a video trailer and a lot of other information about the science behind the novel. Right. Yeah, I was going to have you talk about your site a little bit, but you did it anyway. So, And I was on there looking around. It does have a lot of good background information in ways that people can kind of share as well. And, uh, Thank you. And uh, you're in Utah now, and so where's your speaking tour going to take you next? Uh, New York uh, tomorrow, um, and from there uh, to Baltimore, and also a couple of venues in upstate New York. And again, that information is also on my website. Very cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it right now as we uh, speak here, so that's very cool. So where can if, if the listeners are saying, man, this book sounds interesting, where can I pick up a copy of it? Um, you have links on your website for that as well, I guess. Yeah, there are links to Amazon.com. Um, that's the easiest way to buy it, uh, and, and also uh, in, in stores. Um, and if it's not available in a particular store, just place an order for it. Yeah, uh, th- that will help me. Yeah, definitely. In my in my new path. In your as you journey. So the book's been out since April, right? Is that correct? Uh, no, no, it's just been published. Oh, it's just, just been... been published in the U.S. It's published on the it's published on the first of October, so it's just out now. Oh, so this is this is this is new. This is hot off the press, then. That's awesome. This is a brand. This is a brand new book. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Graham, for coming on tonight and just chatting about your book. Is there anything else you want to say about Entangled before we uh, jet here tonight? Um, I, I would I would just say go to the website and check out the introductory introductory information. And and for those who've read my nonfiction, give me a chance. The publishing industry wants to keep me in my box as a nonfiction. Author. <laughs> they don't want me to be a fiction writer. And I'm really oh come on for my from for my readers to empower me. Well, you know what? Uh, you know, you're you're all about breaking out of boxes, and that's what you've been doing with the archaeology you've been doing, and I think you can do it here too. Thank you. So, thank you. Thank you so much for taking some time tonight to uh, chat with us out of your touring schedule and the other interviews you're doing, and um, we appreciate it a lot. I can't thank wait to get your thanks book. Thanks for having me on the show. All right, thanks thank a lot. Thank you. Bye. Cheers. All right. Well, welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. We hope that you enjoyed our interview with Graham Hancock. We know we enjoyed interviewing him and just sharing that with you. Well, we do have a Sci-Fi 5 and 5 tonight. We kind of took a hiatus from that from last week because of our uh, science fiction, how much science you need in science fiction podcast. But we have tonight the Sci-Fi 5 and 5 brought by, uh, bought by none other than Jay from Atlanta. And this is actually a good one, and this is what he writes, and then maybe Miles, you and I will switch off here, talking about the different ones. Mm-hmm. Hey guys, I thought I'd give you my top five classic universal monster horror movies, since it's close to Halloween. I have fond memories of watching these as a kid after going trick-or-treating. These movies are true classics in the movie history. Some of these movies use groundbreaking special effects, costumes, and makeup for their time. Everyone should see them at least once. I'm going to be honest. I saw. Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't see very many of these. You might have. You might have done better than me here. But uh, do you want to take the first one? Sure. Uh, of course, uh, Dracula. Every vampire's ripoff in some way of uh, Bela Lugosi's performance. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen this Dracula? I have not seen that Dracula. No. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, we have something we need to watch. Thanks, Jay. Another thing to add to my Netflix queue. Um, Frankenstein. Even Robert De Niro could not channel the greatness of Boris Karloff. Uh, next one we have on the list is Bride of Frankenstein. And uh, he thinks one of the best uh, sequels ever made. 
Yeah. And I guess I didn't ask you, did you see Frankenstein? The one he's I, talking about? I have not seen the Robert De Niro of Frankenstein, no. Yeah. Well, did you uh, see the Boris Karloff one? No, it's, uh, that, that, no, I, I've not seen a lot of classic uh, horror uh, movies. See, we're letting uh, you down, no. Jay. We're letting you down. Sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah, so well, horror is not really my thing, anyways. But mm-hmm. uh, and the Wolfman again, the remake does not compare to the original. The original, so uh, the original is what is the original? That's is that the Michael J. Fox one, or is there one earlier than that? Oh, there's one that goes back to the uh, yeah, see, this is the same time period. My knowledge, seen- my knowledge stinks of horror, obviously. Uh, but no, there's an old Wolfman movie made back in the 40s or 50s, I believe oh. it was. Yeah, and yeah. actually did a sequel with uh, uh, Wolfman and and Frankenstein. Oh, cool, cool! And uh, why don't you take us into the last one? It, now, this was one I have uh, seen, uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, and, and Jason says it's his personal favorite. The movie was also released in 3D back in 1954. It was almost made specifically to show off 3D technology. History tends to repeat itself. I would agree. <laughs> yes, definitely. So we didn't get any answers to whether that 3D was. Uh 3D back then is the same as 3D today. I mean, the technology has obviously improved a little bit, but is it the same, mm-hmm. made the same way? Or I don't know that. Anyways, thank you so much, Jay, for sharing us your classic sci-fi uh, horror, I guess, horror movies that uh, we need in our Sci-Fi High and Five, and they are, they are some great ones. We appreciate it. If any, of oh, you, yeah. Yeah, if any of you guys want to share your Sci-Fi and Five and Five, you can just email them to us at the Sci-Fi Biner, the Sci-Fi Biner, Sci-Fi Diner Podcast at gmail.com, and you can also, um, I guess you can Twitter to us if you want, or you can call into the show, and we'll play your call on the show, and that's at one eight 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 five zero eight four three four three, and all those will get get those into the show so miles i believe that pretty well wraps up this show anything else that we need to say before we go no i think we we we, we uh, took care of it today yeah very good well mm-hmm. thanks a lot for listening to us thanks a lot for tuning in and we look forward to seeing you next week at the diner until then good night and good luck we'll see ya
And we hope you enjoyed listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. If you want to find out more about the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast, please visit SciFiDinerPodcast.com where you can find show news, pictures, videos, and many other things about the Sci-Fi Diner. You can also find the Sci-Fi Diner where else, Miles? We have a Facebook fan page, and uh, we have very active discussion going on there between uh, Scott and myself and you, the listeners. So I encourage you, please uh, join our Facebook fan page, and let's talk some sci-fi. You can find us on Twitter at twitter.com backslash sci-fi diner. You can find me on Twitter. That's uh, Herzog, H-E-R-T-Z-O-G. And I am uh, Son of Worf uh, at Twitter, and I also am uh, on uh, Trekspace, uh, Son of Worf at Trekspace. And Lee, uh, we want to hear from you. So please email us at the sci-fi diner podcast at gmail.com or call our listener line at 1-888-508-4343 and let us know your thoughts on what you're watching, what you like, what you don't like. We want to hear from you. 